This is the recording made in the chapter of the open book and is a continuation of our study of the Epistle to the Philippians with particular reference to the statement there's a prize of a high calling in view. Will you just for a moment think back? We have four outstanding epistles which are grouped under the word prisoner. That is to say, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Second Timothy. They bear the, the stamp, the prisoner of the Lord. And they constitute the germ, as it were, of the teaching which the Apostle had to give after the setting aside of Israel and dealing with a mystery which had been kept silent until the time came for Paul to be the mouthpiece. And you will find by looking at these four epistles that two of them stress the hope and a gift, and two of them stress the prize and the race course. Now think of Ephesians. There his great thought is that you may know what is the hope of his calling. The Philippians, he says, now I'm wanting you to understand that there's a prize of the high calling, and you've got to run for it. Not a gift. Then he says in Colossians about the hope of gain of this great calling, and then in Second Timothy, he takes the subject to himself, and he says, I have finished my course, that's a race course, I have kept the faith, henceforth is laid up for me a crown. And not to me only, but unto all those also who love his appearing and act in harmony with that love and that appearing. So you see, we have to distinguish between that which is a sheer gift and that which is an added something which it calls upon you now to arise and bear a witness and run with patience and attain unto and says, if by any means showing that there is a little element of uncertainty as to whether you're going to attain it or not, that must always be. You couldn't enter into a race for a prize and know with an absolute certainty that you were going to win because what's the good of racing? What's the others going to do? It would not be right at all and so it isn't in the scriptures. Well now, we know full well, I'll just turn to Acts, the 23rd chapter, to show you that he must be considering something different from what we call the general teaching of the resurrection of the dead. Acts 23, verse 6. Paul is before the, the uh, council and the high priest and others judging him. And it says, verse 6, But when Paul perceived that the one part were Sadducees, and of course it's a great temptation to say, which I won't say, of course, friends, in a meeting like this, that they were sad, you see, because they didn't believe the resurrection. That's in brackets, of course. Uh, when he said, perceived that one part were Sadducees, and the other Pharisees, he cried out in the council, Men and brethren, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. Of the hope and resurrection of the dead, I am called in question. So, quite apart from Christianity, quite apart from the commission he received as an apostle, he, as a Pharisee, distinct from the other little sects in Israel, they believed and stressed and emphasized the resurrection. But now when we come to the epistle to the Philippians, he says, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. 
Well, there's no idea in the doctrine of the resurrection of if by any means of tithing and running. So it throws us back once more to say, have we got a complete translation? Is there something there that if we only knew would cast a little more light? I think there is. Supposing we notice two or three other passages first to show you uh, the um, emphasis. Now, for instance, take Mark, the ninth chapter. Mark, the ninth chapter, and the nine and ten, verses nine and ten. Verse nine, as they came down from the mountain, he charged them that they should tell no man what things they had seen till the Son of Man were risen from the dead. And they kept that saying with themselves, questioning one with another what the rising from the dead should mean. Does that puzzle you? I hope it does. Because, you see, a, a Pharisee believed the resurrection of the dead, and yet when our Saviour spoke about the resurrection of the dead, they were all of a doodah over it. What does it mean? Well, now, before we sit in judgment upon the Scriptures, or set it aside as something which nobody can explain, it's a good thing just to see what the original says. And if you do turn to the original, you will find that there's a little word, ek, E-K. They weren't worried about the question of the resurrection, but what's this mean, an out-resurrection? You see, Christ didn't have to wait for the resurrection of the last day. Three days and three nights in the heart of the earth and then an out-resurrection. It's that little word ek that plays its part in Philippians, as we shall see as we go on. And just to supplement this, I won't turn to the passage, but you know when Lazarus was dead and our Saviour put the question to his sister and said, My brother shall rise again. She said, Yes, Lord, at the last day. But he didn't wait for the last day. So there again was a resurrection out from among the dead. And that's the thing you've got to remember when you're looking at this um, epistle and its stress upon the prize of the high calling and a resurrection from the dead. Those, those, a little word heck has to be supplied. Supposing we go a bit further and we look at Luke 16, 31. Luke 16, 31. Now, where am I? Is there, is there a 31? Oh, yes. I turned over two pages. He said, If they hear not Moses and the prophets, Neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. And if you look at verses 27, 30. Then he said, I pray thee therefore, Father, that thou would send him to my father's house. For I have five brethren, that he may testify unto them, lest they also come into this place of torment. So he's speaking there again of a resurrection which is out from among the dead. Again, we can, we can multiply these things, but I'm speaking to folks who know the great subject 
the great cornerstone of the gospel, the cross on the one hand, the empty tomb on the other. A bearing of sin in the one case, and an evidence that it's been accepted and completely removed on the other. So now we look at another passage while we have Luke's Gospel before us. Luke 20. Luke 20, verse 35. He says, But they which shall be counted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection of the dead, well, who's counted worthy, friends? Do you know anybody who is counted worthy to be raised from the dead? It's a part of the gospel, of the grace of God by faith without works. But it's this idea of a special resurrection, out from among the dead. And so it says here in this passage in Luke twenty thirty-five. But they which be accounted worthy to obtain, the words which echo in Philippians, to attain unto, lest if by any means I might attain unto, as though there was a possibility that you wouldn't. The, uh, that world and the resurrection from the dead, not the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection out from the dead, a select number, neither marry nor are given in marriage, neither can they die any more, for they are equal unto the angels, and are the children of God being the children of the resurrection. That's going into another subject altogether. But don't, don't think it means you ought not to get married down here. It means to say you won't get married up there. So now's your time, if ever or never. Now then we go on stage further. Acts 26, 23. Acts 26, 23. Uh, I think we ought to go a little bit. Verse 22 to introduce it. Having therefore obtained help of God, I continue unto this day witnessing both the small and great, saying none other things than those which the prophets and Moses did say should come, that Christ should suffer, and that he should be the first that should rise from the dead. So it keeps on emphasizing there's an aspect of the resurrection which is peculiar, singular, arising out from the dead, not the general resurrection at the end of the age. This took place, of course, earlier. And so we have this word, ek. Now, when you come back to the epistle to the Philippians, uh, you will have to discover, I think if you look at the original, that there's a double use of this word. Let's come now to Philippians, where he speaks about this um, Resurrection from the dead. See, what's that, what's that to verse? 3.11. Uh, thank you. I've got a mind like a sieve, friends, but of course a, a sieve's a good thing to get rid of a lot of useless material, but there it is. Philippians 3.11, thank you. That I may know him, that I may know him, and the power of his resurrection, and the fellowship of his sufferings. This is verse 10 being made conformable unto his death. Now then, if by any means, is there anybody listening to me who has to struggle in order to be raised from the dead? That's hopeless. That's silly, isn't it? That's foolish. The person who is dead is absolutely 
unable to do anything or to know anything. But this man has got something in mind. He says, if by any means I might attain. I might attain, I might reach unto. And so we get the emphasis on the fact that he's running a race unto the resurrection, not merely of the dead, but a double use of the word ek. That out-resurrection, which is out from among the dead. So there's no contradiction, you see. There is the hope of God's people, which is a gift of God. It cannot be attained. It's nothing to do with running or racing. It's a part of the finished work of Christ. Nobody can avoid it if they want to. And then there is something added in front, over and above, that if you run with patience the race set before you, if you seek to walk worthy of the calling, if you are endeavouring to adorn the doctrine of God our Saviour in all things, if you've got these extra things which are evidences of a desire to please him, God says that will be recognised too. And so we have the stress in this uh, epistle of the fact that there was such a thing as a prize of the high calling. And if by any means I might attain unto it, not as though I were already perfect, but I press toward the mark. You see, all the words to do with a race. And you may remember the apostle has used the figure of a race course more than once. He says in Corinthians, Know ye not the day that run in the race, run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that you may obtain. I did mention, I think, before that some people have distressed themselves badly because it reads to them, they that run in a race, all but one receiveth the prize. And of course they think they're the one left out. Oh no, it doesn't mean that. They run all, everyone, but one receiveth the prize. Now in this case, it's not limited to one, but it is limited to those who press on and are not turned aside either to the left hand or to the right. And you remember the parallels we looked at in other passages where we have the uh, distressing uh, influence like Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. The Apostle puts it in more inelegant terms in the other epistle, whose God is their belly, who mind earthly things. Well, if that's a characteristic of anybody, he might be saved by grace and forgiven because of the work of Christ. But it's a hopeless idea to think of touching the tape at the end. That means impossible. So when you look again at the um, epistle to the Hebrews, in one of the earlier studies, we gave Hebrews and Philippians an examination. There's so much parallel in that. Uh, I remind you, uh, that he says, um, um, now suppose we look at chapter 11, chapter 11, where it's got the list of those worthies who overcame by faith. And we'll pick up our reading at verse 35. Oh no, I think we ought to go back a little bit. And he says in verse 32, but what shall I say more? What shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and of Balak and of Samson and of Jephthah and of David also and Samuel and the prophets who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped 
the mouths of lions, quench the violence of fire, escape the edge of the sword. Out of weakness were made strong, wax valiant in the fight, turn to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. Now what's the crowning word? That they might obtain a better resurrection. Now that's a point that we've got to remember, and so many people have never considered it. A better resurrection. Well, that's a better resurrection than some other one, isn't it? Other words, otherwise the words have no meaning. But don't you see, this is not just believing the gospel of salvation and sitting down in a meeting and you're all singing yourself to sleep. Oh, to be nothing, nothing. Well, that's all right from one point of view, friends. But you don't get much of that in the life of the Apostle Paul. He was one that was running the race. He knew what it was to be persecuted. He knew what it was to be despised and rejected and following the footsteps of his Saviour. But he said, there's one thing in front of me that keeps me going, that I may share not only in the resurrection, the general resurrection of the dead, but I may be counted worthy if it please him to take part in that earlier, that specific earlier resurrection which has to do with a prize and a crown. I think perhaps it would be wise if we turn to the second Timothy, just to see his own statement with regard to this aspect of things. And he says, um, I suppose we start, we read just the first few verses of chapter 4, Second Timothy. I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. And I think that's true of the word all the time. It's always in season from God's point of view and nearly always out of season from somebody else's point of view. But it causes a sort of strain on the person who has to stand up and give his witness. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears. Now, it doesn't seem to be very clear who have the itching ears, but I think from other scriptures, it's the people who listen to these particular teachers who are able to give all that the itching ears are wanting to hear. And so he's warning about these things, that we do well to heed them. But they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. Now, but watch thou, hear the contrast, in all things. Endure afflictions. So this is not merely simply believing. This is enduring. This is suffering for Christ's sake. And you know the statements, if we suffer with him, we shall be also glorified together. So he's urging this aspect of truth upon him. But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. Now he turns to himself, for I am now ready to be offered 
he speaks of his death almost in the terms of a sacrifice. And so it was. He had been battered about to such an extent that he says, I'm going up now before me judges and I'm about to be offered. And the time of my departure is at hand. He's summarising now his witness. And most of us, if we've got any decency, would not emphasise how faithful we've been, how wonderful we are in the pulpit. It wouldn't be right, would it? But when a man is facing a cruel death at the hands of a persecutor, and when he can look back over a, a witness where consciously and purposely he has stood for the truth and suffered for it from his own countrymen and by the Gentiles, he is permitted to say with truth, these words, I have fought a good fight. He doesn't say I have made a good show, but he says the fight I've been in is a good one, and I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. Now the word course has to do with racing. I'm not a betting person at all, but I've heard some people speaking about they put their money on a certain horse and it never finished. Well, I'm not going to put my money on any horse. But I've got all, all I hope for. All that God has reserved for me, it's put upon one person only. And you know what he said? He said, it is finished. Well, this man is following in the footsteps of his master. And now he says, I have finished. I wonder whether you who are listening to me can all conscientiously say that that's me. That's me to a T. I'm running the race. I'm bearing a witness. I'm putting up with the consequences and I know that when my last day comes I shall be able to say I have finished my course. You say, oh, I don't feel I could say that. No, that's right to be a bit careful over boasting. But here's a man who without wrong boasting could say it. And he's an example that we should keep in front of us anyhow. So he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. So what? Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown. A crown of righteousness. As he says in Corinthians, they do it for a fading laurel crown, but we for an incorruptible one. So run I, so fight I, not as one that beats the air. But he says, you know, my biggest enemy, I keep under my body, lest, having heralded to others about the race, I myself, our version says, should be a castaway. No, look at the original. Lest I myself should be disqualified. He wasn't speaking about eternal life. He wasn't speaking about being justified by faith. He wasn't speaking about the glorious fact of the forgiveness of sins, but he was speaking about running a race, not keeping the rules, being disqualified. So I'm asking you please to keep clear in your mind the difference between the Ephesian attitude that you may know what is the hope of his calling and the emphasis upon the gift of God in Ephesians. And then Philippians comes along and says, well now, if you've got this glorious calling, won't you please, God, who has put you in this position, to just run the race? Won't it be a, won't it be a joy for you in that day 
when the day comes and you see some of God's people going forward and putting their crown at the feet of Christ and you've got nothing. Well, if you only got half a crown, if you're going to speak like that, it'd be better than nothing, wouldn't it? So it's not for weight of glory, not for crown or palm. Enter we the army, raise the warrior's song, but for one who loved us. And I feel sure that just as a parent, when the child comes home from school with a prize, there are two people got a prize, or three. There's the child, and there's the parents. And when you and I, if ever we get to this point, when we too touch the tape at the end, and qualify for the prize of the high calling, I'm sure another one's going to have a prize too. That's our saviour. It's mutual. So, we need not say, oh, I wouldn't like to think I was running for a reward. No, you're not. You're running because God is love, and he's sent his son, and he died for you, and he's urging you on so that he may have this happy ending to the story. And so we have this stress. And um, coming back again to Hebrews 11, if you will, in, um, just a moment, in verse 35, verse 35 it says, Cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great, what am I doing? Hebrews 11.35. Well, uh, that's 10.35. Well, now, let, let's look at 35 again. Oh, yes. I'll, I'll go back to 10.35. Cast not away, therefore, your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. Fear need of patience, that after you've done the will of God, you might receive the promise. And in verse 39, we are not of them that draw back unto perdition. That's loss. It doesn't mean to say you're in danger of hell fire. But of them that believe to the saving of the soul, pressing on to this glorious position. And so, now I'll correct myself, thank you. Hebrews 11.35, where it says, Women received their dead, raised to life again. And others were tortured, not accepting deliverance. What was the thing that sustained them? That they may obtain a better Resurrection. And you know one of the key words of Hebrews is better. Better sacrifices than the law. A better priesthood than the law. And better promises than the law. And a better, a better resurrection in front of you than could ever be entertained by those who were in the earlier stages of God's teaching with men. And so I feel that while we would not overdo this emphasis, it's certainly a part of our witness to remind one another that although grace and salvation is free, unmerited, undeserved, there is a little element in it. When God says, well now, I've given you life, I've given you this glorious calling, I've given you this great salvation, won't you enter into this and please me? For if you only get that little crown at the end, he says, there'll be two of us I shall be pleased as well as you, and so I leave it with you, friends, that this epistle to the Philippians is well worth your study, and to compare it consistently with the epistle to the Hebrews will help out a good many other little features. Now, just in case there's any part... Yes, there is another little bit. 
I wanted to ask you to notice. And that is in chapter 12 of Hebrews. As you read that, you will read that there are some who are sons and some who are firstborn sons. And again, that is sort of making a little distinction. We are all children of God, but we're all not necessarily in the position of a firstborn who inherits. So again, it's stressing that thing. And then you'll find that we have, lest at any time we should slip, or lest we should come short, that's chapter 4, and be not slothful, that's chapter 6, and we are not those who draw back, that's chapter 10, and he says in chapter 10, verse 35, cast not away your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. And so, we've got these words stressing the similar thought of pressing on to the prize of the high calling. And then we get the warning in Hebrews chapter 12 of one who forfeited his inheritance and the urging of those who attained unto the prize. I commend to you then Philippians and its balancing epistle, Second Timothy, and its expansion in Hebrews 11 to sort of set over against the high calling of God which you cannot merit, the high calling of God which is by grace alone, the high calling of God which is stressed as a gift, so that we've got now a gift which you never, you do not earn, and then something which you can lay at his feet when that day comes, the out-resurrection, out from among the dead.